You're listening to the On The Rise podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs as we make our way to the top. Here is your host, known as the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Hey, what's up everyone? John Lee here, also known as The Property Shark, and welcome back to another episode of the On The Rise podcast. Joining us today, we have Troy Macbeth. You gotta help me with the last name. Abramidas. Abramidas, he is the Director of Developments with Bucci. Troy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on, I appreciate it. Absolutely, Troy. And, you know, before we kind of get you to introduce yourself, you have a very famous tagline, only the finest. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, only the finest kind of started as an inside joke with a few friends. Um, You know, uh, I I throw around a lot of cliche jokes like the dream continues, only the finest and kind of a few other silly catchphrases. And um, it was used to be uh, kind of sarcastic or melodramatic and kind of silly situations or funny situations um, that you might find yourself in or you know if you're just out with friends and you know say you order uh, a drink or you order uh, you know an appetizer or an entree and it just doesn't come out quite exactly what you were hoping for you yeah. can describe it as only the finest and also from a politically correct point of view if you make a joke using extreme sarcasm saying only the finest people might get a little bit offended if they don't know you that well but then at the same time if they are to get offended saying only the finest can't really push anyone's buttons too much so it from my perspective it's probably one of the more universal jokes you can use and not offend anyone or try not to offend anyone you know especially people who are concerned about being politically correct so i kind of adopted it just as a a universal joke that i say uh, probably on a daily basis um just because I think it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I love it. I, I love how you can uh, kind of switch it around and, and kind of cool people off if, if you're kind of pushing the wrong buttons, but at the same time kind of get some sense of humor, maybe a laugh here or there, you know, if people yeah. are, are kind of too tense in a situation. So Yeah. And Troy, for our listeners that are listening that don't know too much about yourself or real estate development, could you kindly give them an introduction about yourself? Um, again, my name is Trevor. I'm just director of development at Bucci. Uh, I've been working in real estate for nearly 20 years, about a few years shy of that. Um, started off working as a realtor, uh, market research analyst. Um, I'll basically worked my way up from there. Uh, started uh, out as a, a president's assistant at a company called Walmart Homes many, many years ago. Kind of got my foot in the door there spent seven years there worked up to development manager um uh eventually i transitioned to bucci um uh, which has been um probably one of the you know most interesting and challenging um uh career choices that i've made and um as i've been there for the last seven going on eight years i started off as a development manager working my way up to taking over day-to-day development operations for the company um was eventually promoted into the role of director of development and uh, yeah, I, um, I work uh, basically um, in uh, real estate acquisitions, 
I also work in the real estate development side. Uh, and um, to kind of go over that in a nutshell, we take a property, uh, whether it be you know a large parcel or uh, a land assembly, and, and work to assemble it. Work through the due diligence process with the consultant team, architects, engineers, um, other uh, specialists. We um, approach the city and work with them uh, on a concept uh, to build a building or to build a community. And then we work through the entitlement process with the uh, politicians, with the planners, with the engineers, with our consultant team, with our internal uh, Nabuchi development team as well. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to be supported by uh, such a great team of people who um, work with me uh, to get the project approved and, and, and built out and constructed uh, to basically um, key turnover. So again, very lucky to work with the people that I do. And then they, uh, basically taking it from concept, that's my job, um, and to completion, which is uh, when we pass it over to construction and sales and uh, customer service, and then just basically see the project go from, you know, uh, an idea on paper and on drawings, um, and then uh, to finally be built uh, and, and completed is, is pretty amazing. And um, I always like to say that, um, you know, I design, when, I, when I'm working with a team, I'm working on the design of a, a, a building on paper, and I'm basically designing the project on paper. And that's, that's what I design with the team that I work on and, and that I'm involved with. And then the idea comes to life when we actually break ground and start construction and whatnot. So it's, it's a pretty interesting um, uh, career to be in. So I'm, I'm very happy with what I do and what I get to do. So. Absolutely. And, and it definitely does show, uh, you know, when you talk about real estate and development, you're really excited about it. Um, it gets you going. And Troy, for yourself personally, uh, how did you get started in real estate? Kind of what was that spark of inspiration for you to say, oh, like maybe I can see myself doing this. This is fun. I enjoy it. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I'm 36 right now, uh, even though I might look older or younger. <laughs> younger? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but um, I started in my early in my early 20s, um, if not when I was like 19. That's kind of when I, I had general interest in, in you know getting into business of some sort. Um, as a as a young student, starting off my you know call it academic career uh, in you know first year university college or whatever the case was, I I actually really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I spent a little bit of time uh, taking some courses between Langara Quantlin. And I wasn't really uh, as, as interested in, in a general, um, you know, like a general arts program or a general sciences program. So I took a year off and uh, I went uh, traveling actually, and I taught English overseas. Wow. While I was there, I was introduced to, um, you know, a lot of interesting people and a lot of interesting places and interesting, you know, culture. And it's a great, it was a great life experience for me. And um, I, when I was teaching English, I actually realized I was more interested in the business side of a school versus the, you know, the operation side of being a teacher. Um, and then when I came back to Canada, I thought to myself, you know, what uh, business is something that I, I feel like I could get into and kind of leave my mark on. And real estate is the, you know, the, as, as you know, and I'm, as probably many of your, your peers know as well, it's one of the largest purchases you'll ever make as a, you know, an individual or family or whatever the, the case is. And so being able to be involved in a uh, business that touches so many uh, lives and you know, affects so many people and is a major driver of the economy was one thing. I thought that was you know, pretty amazing. And at the same time, um, you know, I, 
I, I decided to take the BCIT program. Um, they had a professional commercial real estate program, which is a two-year diploma. So I took that um, while I was while I was uh, studying. I was volunteering um, uh, in in the first year on a part-time basis for a local realtor in Richmond, um, realtor turned developer who's done extremely well for himself. And uh, you know, I think what he's done um, in, in real estate is amazing. And then at the same time. Um, I was also uh, working uh, in the summer uh, at CB Richard Ellis um, between first year and second year. So that to me was kind of my eye-opening introduction, you know, kind of a try before you buy type situation. <laughs> you don't know if you're going to really enjoy what it is you're, you're hoping for, you romanticize. So, you know, I, I, I basically got to cut my teeth on the residential real estate side with the residential realtor I was um, volunteering for. And then I got to uh, cut my teeth on the commercial side, working at C.B. Richard Ellis. And um, funnily enough, um, you know, I spent my time there and I paid my dues there and I made some great connections. And, you know, uh, some of my um, colleagues that I work with today uh, and that, you know, uh, whether we work together um, uh, at Bucci Developments, which I'll just quickly go into a funny anecdote in a second. But um, some of the other uh, individuals I deal with, you know, where, you know, they're selling us development sites. And um, or we're we're asking them to help us with land assemblies. Uh, you know, they're they're CBRE um, guys and gals that I, I dealt with before when I was when I was there as a as a you know like a, an intern analyst, a junior commercial broker, whatever you want to call it. Um, the funny anecdote I wanted to mention is that when I um, went to interview at Bucci Developments, I actually worked at CB Richard Ellis with my boss Mike Bucci, and um, it was a. Uh, you know, it was it was interesting when I sat down in the boardroom for the interview and I saw him and he saw me and we recognized each other right away. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's funny that um, the relationships that you make and the um, the time that you invest uh, working when you are younger can pay dividends in the future. So obvious to say the interview went well and I was offered this position to, to work with Mike and, and to work with, um, you know, the rest of the Bucci team. But it was just one of those moments where it's kind of an aha moment, you know, you, you put a lot of effort in when you're younger, um, working hard, uh, trying to create a, you know, a good um, brand identity for yourself, trying to create, uh, you know, like a great rapport um, with other people and, and professionally develop yourself. And then, you know, seven to eight years later, or nine to 10 years later, or what, what have you, you meet the same people that you um, are working with, today and uh you you haven't seen them for years and then when you sit down in a room and, and and chat and talk business you know it's um it's just great for that to kind of all come full circle so i got really really lucky there and i was really happy that the experience that i had at cb richard ellis uh provided me with the opportunity to meet meet mike and then to, to work with him uh at gucci development so it's it's um you know it kind of comes around full, full circle so, uh, you know, just to add to, to, you know, the last part of this to answer the question in a nutshell, I didn't know exactly, you know, what I wanted to do in real estate when I started. I just knew I wanted to be in business when I thought about um, being in business in general. And then to go from, uh, you know, market research analyst through to, uh, you know, like a real realtor project marketing and sales, you know, develop president's assistant and then, you know, kind of working my way up in development for, you know, over a decade plus. Uh, and then, you know, eventually becoming the director of development for a Western Canadian developer um, has really been, you know, a, a, it, you know, it's, I find it extremely fulfilling. 
Um, but I had no idea that, you know, by the time I was in my early 30s, I would have done or accomplished some of the things that I've uh, done. Um, so I'm very lucky in that respect. So, you know, even if you set a goal, um, you know, to get educated and to get into the, to a certain business or a certain field or what have you, it's really amazing how quickly you can advance and accelerate in a short amount of time. And I, I also feel that there's a certain amount of luck with it. I, I think, um, you know, I've been really lucky with some of the relationships that I've created and some of the, you know, opportunities that I've, I've, I've been able to work on. So yeah, that's just kind of how I get into real estate and, you know, kind of the, you know, the journey in a nutshell. I, I think it's uh, absolutely amazing. And, and also, you know, for some of our listeners to maybe reassuring that, oh, like, it's okay to not know, you know, and, and for yourself, especially when you're just graduating high school, like I remember I was freaking out. I was like, I don't know what I want to study. Like, I don't, my parents wouldn't let me take a gap year, which I think that in hindsight, um, that might've been a good decision to make for you to kind of just tone it back and kind of regroup and kind of refocus. And, you know, that's for you that, that has done absolutely amazing um, and kind of changed the trajectory of your career. And also um, another thing too, that you said that really stood out is the, the connections part, right? And, and how your hard work as, as a young individual and the connections that you make might pay dividends in the future. You just never know. Um, as a young 20 or something year old, kind of when you were interning, uh, what was kind of your way of really making yourself stand out and making connections with people that are maybe significantly older in age or experience relative to you in the development industry? I, I'm probably going to age myself by, you know, providing you with kind of a couple anecdotes um, in regards to uh, how I attempted to stand out when I was younger, getting into the business. Yeah. Um, before there was, uh, you know, um, you know, the real, the real net that we have now, and before there was Google Earth, and before there was Google Street View. So this is this is a long time ago. But uh, you know, before all of these things existed, um, and this is in the CBRE days, they would uh, have the interns create block books. And what that entailed was basically being the Google Street View for block after block after block after block in Vancouver. So when I first started, um, I really wanted to. Uh, learn as much as I could um, because you know I, I essentially I knew nothing in real estate um, and the more information you have and the more knowledge you can gather and you know synthesize and and, and you know um, you know basically take and, and, and you know into your uh, you know take into your um, uh, you know like kind of database of your mind or whatever in your mind's eye and then you learn more about uh, the market market research and, and how all those uh, fundamental things work together the more you dive into it and immerse yourself into it, the better you become faster. So, you know, I volunteered to do a lot of block books, um, you know, as many as I could. So I, I remember the first one I did basically walked from the base of the, of the Granville street bridge or the Arthur Lang bridge, sorry. And I walked from Granville street, uh, at the, you know, the Richmond exit and I had to walk all the way up into downtown, like block by block, by block, by block, by block building by building by building, property by property by property, uh, owner by owner by owner. And I had to create a, a book or basically essentially like a database of all the properties. 
And after I finished that, I was asked to do the downtown east side, East Hastings, Pender, Gastown, et cetera, from, you know, like where it began, where the street began, all the way into, you know, outside of down, the downtown peninsula, and then a lot of other areas too. So that was one of the things that I, I did. Um, you know, I volunteered for that task. There was a lot of different market research tasks you could do at C.B. Richard Ellis at the time. Um, I was working with an individual, uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Clibben, who was in charge of the market research program. And I was kind of a floating market researcher. I was a special projects type person. So, you know, I did that for a gentleman by the name of Martin Delafontaine. So it was a great experience. Martin's a, a, a fantastic um, land broker. And if you ever have the chance to meet him or take him for coffee, I'd recommend it. Um, he's a highly intelligent, highly capable guy. And so I learned a lot from him by doing, uh, by doing that work, you know, and getting one-on-one -on -one time with him, you know, to, you know, have a coffee or, or have a drink or have dinner after work and to pick his brain to me was immensely uh, beneficial. So I was able to take the work that I was doing uh, and I was able to, you know, present it the value of that and, um, you know, get the one-on-one the -on -one time with the senior brokers that you wouldn't normally get. So that's one of the things that I, I did that I found very beneficial. Um, because I graduated the BCIT program, the timing for graduation took place in like May. And a lot of the um, UBC or uh, a lot of the SFU students had already uh, finished their program uh, a couple months earlier. So um, the other thing that uh, really stood out to me when I was younger was I really had to sell myself um, a little bit harder than a UBC student or a, an SFU student just based purely on timing. So I, when I finished my, the, the program for that one year and I was interviewing the CBRE, whether I was interviewing there or I interviewed at uh, Collier's, Christian Wakefield, Page, or, you know, the other uh, major players because I was interested in commercial real estate, so I was wanting to interview there. I was being turned down because there was no positions available. And that, that can be quite discouraging. If you graduate from a program or, or from the year and you're two months too late just because simply the school you're taking, the courses end uh, much later and they've already filled their hiring quota, you have to you have to be twice as hungry or you have to present yourself you know, twice as hard in order to, um, to get the job. So when I interviewed with Chris Cliven and I sat down with him, uh, you know, he just said, I've taken this uh, coffee with you, but we don't have a job right now. Maybe you should come back in the fall or maybe you should come back in the spring or next summer. He said, you know, you, you asked for coffee, so I'm here. So I just don't have anything for you at the moment. So I really had to sell myself in order to get that uh, position and to create that opportunity, that's how I became the special projects guy. When you're when you're last when you're last to the party, you know it can <laughs> it can be a problem, right? Um, so I had to work, uh, you know, hard in in the position that I was in. You know, even just as a market research intern or analyst or whatever you want to call it. So um, I I found uh, having to sell myself beneficial because it forced me to be on my A game when I was uh, meeting with individuals and, and you know, conveying my, you know, my thoughts and, and, and feelings and presenting myself in a professional manner. So I, I was lucky and, and you know, Chris um, was, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was a great mentor when it came to market research, um, when it came to also like, you know, the other uh, the work that he did with the firm as well. I got really lucky there. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll give just quickly another uh, anecdote. Um, you know, about, uh, you know, um, being young and, and the, some of the lessons I'd learned 
and how I, um, you know, if I'm giving advice to someone and how I apply that. I have another friend of mine uh, who I had the privilege of um, getting to know when he was a student and I had uh, been a grad of the BCIT UBC program. I, I took both programs um, for maybe 10 years or something like that, give or take. And so there was a young man that I met and he was a student and he was interested in getting a job in real estate. And uh, he was an infinitely brilliant person. And I had nothing but respect for him. I, I thought that, uh, you know, he was uh, just a very intellectual guy and just presented extremely well. Um, just, uh, you, you know, um, uh, just a consummate professional. And you know, when you meet somebody, uh, you know, you know, within 30 seconds or two minutes of meeting them that, you know, there's something special about this person and they're, you know, they're going to go far in their career. Um, and sometimes you just need a little bit of help. Um, the gentleman's name is Marcos. Uh, he um, works currently at Anthem. Uh, he's the uh, um, uh, one of the heads of the acquisition department. So he's working for one of the largest builders in town. Uh, very, very successful guy in his own right. And uh, you know, when I first met him and he was a student at, at BCIT, I respected the hell out of him because he reminded me of uh, you know just the somebody who really wanted it and really wanted to work hard. So. Um, when I first met him, uh, he uh, and, and, and we were just having a general conversation, we just had coffee. Um, he mentioned he wanted to work at a company called Morningstar, uh, and he had applied there, um, but uh, they were looking for somebody who had two to three years of experience in real estate at the time. And Marcos was a student uh, just coming uh, out of you know, uh, his grad program um, you know, and becoming a, a young you know, like intra-career professional, so to speak. So based on relationships, like I had mentioned before, how important they are. Um, you know, I know Marcos was a very smart guy. This guy, I just knew. And, um, you know, if, if you had a conversation with him or you had coffee with him or whatever the case was, you just, you just know just by, by having a, a short conversation with him that he's a very, he doesn't go very far and he was a very good guy. Um, so long story short, you know, I, I told him, I said, I know, um, you know, the, the gentleman that you're going to, interview with or that you would have interviewed with if you had qualified for the position what i'll do is i'll give him a call his name is ryan i'm like i'll give him a call i'll let him know my opinion of you and i'll tell him that he should interview you uh, for this position even though um, you might not necessarily meet the criteria on paper you're more than capable of doing the job it's one of those things where sometimes it's not what you know it's who you know but in this case i knew he knew how to do the job and I knew that he would be more than capable of doing it successfully. So, you know, sometimes you have to, uh, you know, try to help somebody else out um, because obviously it's, to me, it's the right thing to do, right? So, you know, I made the call to, to Ryan. Um, the interview was obviously going to take place. Right. And I said to Marcos, um, you need to ace this interview and you need to, um, you, you need to give him no reason not to hire you. So one of the other things that I had learned, um, you know, um, in my days of interviewing and uh, trying to, um, you know, uh, present myself and, you know, as uh, professional alive as you can, is come early and come over prepared. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I said to Marcos, I said, when you interview with uh, Morningstar, I said, this is, you know, a helpful suggestion and this is what I'd recommend. I said, know everything about their business that this, um, that this uh, position would entail. I said, they work in Maple Ridge, they work in Coquitlam. I'm like, they build single family homes. I said, you need to know 
what they're building where, you need to know uh, the quality of their product, the quality of their finish, you need to know what communities they're working on, you need to meet the salespeople, um, you basically need to go out there and do, do your market research, right? So, you know, my version of a block book, which is, you know, learn everything about a market that, you know, this is what I was forced to learn when I was CBRE and I found hugely beneficial. Knowing everything about a neighborhood or knowing everything about a community, or in this case, if you're trying to get a, a job, knowing everything about the developer that you possibly can, um, you know, will set you apart if you spend that level of time and detail uh, going out there. So, you know, I, I, I basically told him, I said, go to the district of Maple Ridge and meet with the planners that are managing their applications or development applications. I said, go figure out, um, you know, uh, where these properties are, drive to those properties in Maple Ridge or Coquitlam or, you know, like Langley, Surrey, wherever they are, physically drive to the locations and make sure you mention that in your interview and give your personal opinion about why you think they bought those sites and what the, you know, what the community will be like when it's finished, like sell, sell them on, you understand what they're trying to accomplish and, you know, the communities they're trying to build. And I said, lastly, I said, make sure you go to one of their, or at least two of their communities that are now selling, let the salesperson know who you are, who you're interviewing with and the purpose of why you're there. And I said, compliment the hell out of the homes because this morning star is a great builder and you know one of the reasons why i knew ryan and one of the his, his boss at the time one of the reasons why i knew ryan was because we both were you know senior development professionals at the time and you know uh this is a small circle of you know um individuals in the industry that kind of kind of know each other just you know more it's not like we're friends and we hang out per se but you know, there's a mutual, there's a healthy mutual respect. Mm. Um, he knows what I work on. I know what he works on. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it's nice just to be able to talk to another development professional. So that's how I got to know Ryan in that capacity. So I basically tried to give Marcos the best advice that I could so that he could get the job. And I told him, I said, if I was interviewing you and you went to this length, you know, to, figure out what I'm working on and, and where I'm working on and why I'm working on and how I'm working on it. And, you know, you, you know, the, the, the individuals, the, the staff that are, um, uh, and, 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 you know, the various planning departments and cities where the applications are at, what it's going to take to get them finished. And you've seen the finished product in itself, but you know, the homes and the community that they're building, I was like, you would have no reason not to get hired. And so from my perspective, I thought that was the best approach that he could take, you know, being an individual who had, no experience, um, you know, in, in uh, you know, in that, uh, in that type of position, because they were looking for somebody with two or three years experience, but just to set himself apart. And so he interviewed, um, he obviously blew it out of the water. Um, that was his first job in real estate. And he was there for a number of years, uh, tremendously successful in that position, gave him the opportunity to work at um, Anthem which again, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is a, is a, a major player and a huge builder in, in you know, uh, North America. And um, he's uh, working in their acquisitions department now, um, which, is a, which is a huge accomplishment for him. I actually ask him for advice now, um, you know, with certain acquisitions or certain, uh, you know, certain things that I'm working on because he's that good. And so, you know, if I, if I hadn't taken the time to get to know him when he was young and I hadn't taken the time to, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, learn more about him and learn about what he wanted to to accomplish in, in his career, you know, 
I wouldn't have been able to have the relationship I do with them right now. So I'm very grateful that, you know, now I can, I, I can, you know, have a conversation with them at a peer level um, because he's done so well for himself. So it's just those little things, uh, you know, that you do to help people out that will come back and pay dividends for you in the future. And so, you know, from that perspective, you know, from, from what I've done and, you know, um, you know, uh, through to, you know, some of the mentoring, uh, you know, some of the initiatives I do, so I, I do some volunteering and things like that as well. You know, I've gotten really lucky all along the way. Um, but, you know, being able to take, you know, uh, a little bit of time just to help someone out and, and kind of give advice based on what you've learned over, over the past is super helpful. And then, you know, like last but not least, to, to age myself again one last time. So, you know, even when you're working uh, in real estate and you're starting out, um, just one last funny story. We, we didn't even have, uh, at the time when I just began, uh, there was like no uh, like Paragon type system. There was no um, uh, MLS that was that powerful at the time. Um, they used a system which was almost like DOS based, right? Which was just, you'd basically type instructions into a computer and it would just spit information out. Um, I can't recall the name of it, but that system was very different than the system that everyone is used to using today. So it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting because when you're t 10 or 20 years from now, if you keep doing what you're doing this, uh, you know, you're going to be telling stories like I'm telling right now about, oh, back in the day, we used to have this. And back in the day, we, <laughs> we didn't have that in, in, my, in my time, right? So <laughs> I just think it's, it's, it's interesting, like five years from now, the virtual reality technology and things like that that will be coming out, I think it's just going to blow out a lot of what we have out of the water. But just, yeah, I, I'm rambling now, but... <laughs> I love it, Troy. A lot of great life lessons and stories. I feel like the best way to really teach a lesson is to teach it through a story because it captures people in the moment and it brings them back to kind of that point in time when you were going through that particular event or conversation. And uh, I've learned a lot through that. Um, and even Marco, Marcos, like he's, he's, yeah. he's doing amazing things right now. Wow. As a, head of acquisition at Anthem too. And, and it's, it's amazing to, to see how that little time and effort that you stepped in to help him out has now kind of gone back again in full circle for where you, you kind of, you're at peer to peer level and you can lean on him for advice and guidance as well. So um, Troy, I'm, I'm curious to hear your point of view. Cause you know, you've done it all um, in terms of the, the real estate sell like market research to sales to now development um, from your point of view uh, you might be biased about this question but as a young individual who wants to get into the real estate game you know there's there's usually two routes that most people take and, and one of it is focus on learning kind of the skills on development particularly and then there's also the real estate sales side of of the game right so mm -hmm. From your point of view, like if, if I'm a younger person and, you know, I, I'm interested in getting into real estate and development, like what route would you choose and why? Just, just kind of curious about that. It's when I started in real estate uh, on the development side, it was very difficult to get a job um, because the real estate development uh, departments, uh, the, the projects were smaller 
um, the scope and scale of the projects were a little bit simpler than they are now. And um, the, uh, the, the size, the, the sheer size and, and scale of um, these communities were, were, were a lot different 10 or 15 years ago than they are now. Um, you know, you're seeing uh, companies like Ani, Boza, West Group um, working on these uh, master plan communities um, that are, you know, five towers, 10 towers, 15 towers, and, you know, combination of low, mid-rise, uh, you know, townhome, single family. Uh, those projects take a huge amount of manpower, uh, people power, woman power, whatever you want to call it, right? They take, they take a ton of time. They take a, a ton of human resources. And uh, back then, um, to get an application approved, a lot of developers are just working on, you know, one tower at a time, you know, um, tower A, and then, and then they're finishing, and then they're working on tower B, and then they moved on to tower C, or, you know, they're doing multifamily apartments, or they're doing townhomes, or whatever the case was. The sheer scope and scale of, of like, these, these master plans have really come out in the last five or 10, maybe 10 or 15 years. Um, when I started in the industry, I was working uh, from a development perspective for a single family uh, spec and a townhome and a, and a small uh, multifamily apartment builder that was mainly doing stick frame wood frame. Mm. And um, I learned there. Uh, now, in the last kind of five or 10 years, when you're starting off in the industry, a lot of uh, positions are, you know, um, they're, they're like, there's like market research, there's the development analyst, there's development coordinator, and those are kind of the realm of um, entry-level positions into real estate development. Mm -hmm. um, they're all really good uh, ways to start because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I learned a lot from my market research experience and I learned a lot from my project marketing experience um, in regards to, uh, you know, um, useful, incredibly useful information that you need to, to understand in order to be more effective, you know, um, development professional. Uh, I, it, it's, it's kind of hard for me to put my finger for a young person on what the best, um, the best, uh, the best route is to start out, um, potentially to get into real estate development of some sort. Um, my recommendation is, uh, education is tremendously powerful. I did not only the BCIT program, but I also did the UBC diploma of urban land with specialization in both development, uh, but also on appraisal too, because I wanted to understand the numbers behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, it just really depends on how deep you want to dive into that area that you're interested in. Um, I've met some professionals, uh, young professionals who started off in market research and then they moved into acquisitions and they're very happy doing that. And they, you know, they make a very good living uh, doing that and they're, they're extremely happy with that, you know, kind of specialty. And that, you know, is one facet of, the real estate development cycle and, and it's a great place to be and some of my really close friends are you know land assembly real estate agents and because i had some i've had some experience doing that you know um it, it's it's a hard it's a hard uh career path to take because land assembly is not easy um that's one uh, one uh good way of getting started and i would say the first three to five years of a career in real estate um some people start off as development coordinator assistant and they move up to development manager and that can take a little bit longer. Um, the skill set to be a development manager, senior uh, development manager, director of development, um, is is tough to acquire because a lot of the 
larger developers, as mentioned earlier, uh, in this answer, they they require special technical uh, special uh, technical skills. Mm. Right, I stumbled on that word, but um, what I mean by that is they're looking to hire architects or engineers to uh, manage the projects because, like I mentioned earlier, the projects are becoming so complicated and and uh, there there's just so many moving parts to them. Um, you have to hire an architect or engineer to work on these projects or, or a planner to work on the master planning of these projects. And you have to understand how all of the pieces fit together, um, uh, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together in order to make the project work. And that's one aspect of it. So becoming a technical expert or a technical trouble, troubleshooter of the development process in itself by starting off as an assistant and then moving into coordinator and manager that's a, an entire skill set in itself to work, be able to work through the entitlement process and understand, you know, rezoning, development permit, subdivision, building permit, uh, issued for construction drawings, um, you know, and, and, and that whole thing. And sometimes that can take, you know, two years to get a project approved, three to four years, five to eight years if it's a master plan. So um, those projects can be extremely technical and complex. And so, uh, the young professionals who are starting out in that, like you, for some of um, some of the individuals that participate in these processes, they have master's degrees, uh, you know, like ar architects and engineers, um, very specialized training. So to be able to effectively manage, uh, you know, those members of your team, that project team, uh, to understand that as a person who's coming out of college with a or a university with like a diploma or a, an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, you know, a lot of the people you might be working with um, have maybe twice as much education as you do, yet you're becoming uh, the, 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 you know, uh, the, the, the leader of the project per se, and you could accomplish that in you know, the first couple of years in the business. Um, if, if you're in the right position and, and you know, if you're um, uh, lucky enough to succeed and excel uh, very quickly. So there's that aspect of it too. And then outside of you know, kind of development assistants and, and, and development coordinators moving up the ranks as development managers into more senior positions, and there's the project marketing side and there's the, the realtor side. And I, I, I think, and again, I've, I've uh, been a licensed real estate professional for, yeah, like 16 years or something, 16, 17 years, a long time. Um, at the end of the day, I think it's extremely invaluable to understand what you're selling um, and what your, uh, what your purchasers are looking for. Um, at the, end, at the end of the day, like I'm lucky, I, the individual uh, that works at Bucci Developments, um, who's uh, in charge of sales, marketing, and uh, leasing, uh, her name is Chelsea Marshall. She's incredibly talented at what she does and she's extremely smart. Um, so I'm lucky to be able to work with her. And because I have some knowledge of, of, of you know, sales and marketing and, and leasing, I'm able to have a really, like we're able to have like really intelligent conversations with each other where we challenge each other's, um, you know, uh, thinking or we challenge each other's um, kind of perspectives on, on what makes, uh, you know, like a great community and what makes a great project. Um, and again, my construction manager that I work with, uh, sorry, I, I shouldn't say that, the director of construction that I work with. Um, yeah. Sorry for the improper use of terminology, but, you know, the team and, and also the, you know, the, 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 the guy who runs the show uh, essentially with the directors in the Bucci, uh, Developments team, Mike Bucci. The four of us were very. Um, we we have very interrelated skill sets. Um, so you know where I'm strong. Uh, you know others. Uh, you know maybe a little bit weaker, and where I'm weak, others may be a little bit stronger. So there's that synergy that 
you know, it makes us a really good team. And I think that's one of the things that as a young professional, you need to um, kind of look at what your core strengths are and especially what your weaknesses are and try and build them up. Like I was lucky because I got to do sales and marketing and I got to do market research and, you know, market analytics. And I got to do like appraisal analysis and, you know, market studies. And I got to do acquisitions and I got to do development and, you know, I got to, you know, work in, in, in customer service and, you know, I don't like going on construction sites because I'm a little bit clumsy, right? So uh, uh, I, I try to stay off construction sites as much as I can, but I do have enough knowledge to go on to a construction site and be a little bit dangerous, right? <laughs> uh, not to the construction team or to myself, but um, at the end of the day, having, uh, you know, a specialized skill set that you kind of own over a couple of years and then you, you learn more and you learn more and you learn, learn more and you kind of build on it. Both taking your education and then just kind of always embracing the opportunity to learn. And so that's kind of what I found. And so like kind of going to the sales and marketing side, I actually think there's tremendous value in working in project marketing or working in uh, project sales and learning what customers want and, you know, what their needs and desires are and being able to translate that effectively to, uh, you know, the development team or the construction team. Um, uh, or the interior design team and just designing the best spaces and the best possible communities for the people that live there. Um, there's a lot of developers that just focus more on the, you know, like the architectural aesthetics or they focus on the community building or they focus on the, the livability of the suites and the, and the homes or they focus on, you know, certain aspects. And if you have a really strong team and you have a really good group of individuals, uh, you know, that work within your organization, um, to kind of bring out the best within what you're what you're working on to to try and work on the, the best possible communities. I think uh, that's what um, would make young professionals nowadays stand apart. So even if you don't get the dream job you're hoping for in your first uh, position or your second position, you know eventually you will be able to learn those skills that you want to learn and translate them uh, hopefully into um, uh, you know, the next job when you advance your career, because uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, individuals in real estate, whether they be tremendously successful realtors or tremendously successful, um, you know, developers that did start off and, you know, maybe the market research side or did start off and maybe kind of the project sales side. And they really, they really understand the customer and they really understand the need, their needs, wants and desires, what drives them to purchase. And that can make you even though you might not be the greatest numbers person or you might not be the greatest construction person or technical person that can make you a better developer than others. If you, if you really understand that, right? So it's about yeah. really mastering the skills that you, you want to learn, but also identifying your weaknesses. And then once you've identified those either improve your weaknesses or know that you're going to need to rely on other, other individuals. Yeah. I love that, Troy. I love that. And I think it, it, it has kind of been your life model too, is just to, to, to embrace every opportunity and really perform to the best of your abilities and have that sense of curiosity and eagerness to learn. And, you know, you've, again, you've mentioned you've juggled multiple positions, but that gave you a, a great understanding of what it takes and a great overview of the development from, you know, scratch to finish. And, and those, every little, other job or opportunity that you took on really led you to where you are today. So that's absolutely amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate your kind words. <laughs>
And Troy, I want to transition over to, um, let's just say the special times right now um, with the pandemic going on. I mean, we're slowly opening up again, which is, you know, the good thing. But I'm curious uh, from your point of view, how how has, you know, the, the special times of the past couple of months impacted real estate development? And you also mentioned in five years down the road, you know, VR and web apps and direct to consumer sales. So I'm kind of curious, to, I, that was a, a lot of questions, but I'm just so excited about this. But um, from your point of view, yeah, maybe how has COVID impacted the real estate development industry and what you foresee in, in the next five years? Uh, that's a, that's a, it, you know, it, there, there's no crystal ball um, that can, can really say you know where we're at in time versus where we're headed i think there's you know the virus right now and then there's wave one which is we're in there's going to be wave two or three which is or or there could be you know like more waves depending on how long this lasts and then there's kind of pre-pandemic and post-pandemic and to me post-pandemic is there's a vaccine available but the majority of the population has been able to get access to the vaccine and they are effectively, they, they are, they're immune to, you know, uh, to being susceptible to, to catching, um, you know, uh, this virus. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of start between now and up until there's a vaccine. Um, I, I, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, kind of, um, issues in the economy right now. Uh, people are talking about, you know, the, you know, uh, deflation of currency. People are talking about, you know, um, government uh, subsidies. People are talking about like, you know, the government printing money uh, and all of these kind of things that could create uh, deflationary pressures or de- de- deflationary, um, uh, you know, impacts uh, within, whether it's Canada and North America or, you know, the globe. Um, so there, there, there's the, the, the economic impact overall. Um, there's a number of people that have lost their jobs, uh, families, individuals. Um, there's also uh, the housing market in itself. You know, where are we at now with, um, you know, the applications? Have they been slowed down or stalled out? Are developers, um, uh, you know, unable to complete their projects, unable to secure financing, unable to provide, you know, affordable housing solutions in the future? You know, what is demand like right now? Um, is there a lot of people with money sitting on the fence? Is there a lot of people who can't even get access to capital because they don't have a job, whatever the case is? And then on the flip side, when you look at it, you know, maybe eight to 12 months from now, um, you know, if the economy stabilizes somewhat, you know, and I'm talking about like uh, the economy, the Canadian economy, uh, American economy, North America, you know, on the world it starts to get a little bit better. You know what does that look like, like kind of incrementally right because um you know if you look at you know gdp uh in total you know if, if you're basically uh you know essentially turning off the tap which is what happens you know when you're not able to go to work and you're not able to um you know do what you do on a normal normal kind of day-to-day routine or weekly routine you know i i've always been of the opinion uh, you know, when there's an economic crisis, like for example, you look at 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, there was that period uh, where, you know, uh, people were losing their jobs. There was that period where the economy was collapsing. There was that period where, 
um, you know, there was, uh, you know, that um, the, the, the timeline basically before recovery really started to happen. And so every month that went on, I thought, and this is just, you know, maybe this is, you know, too anecdotal, but I'm like, if you take, if, if you turn, if you turn off the tap for one month, uh, it's going to take four months, you know, of, of recovery time for that one yeah. month economy stalled out. So I still have that opinion. If the economy stalled out, you know, in the 12 month span, stalled out six months, like totally stalled out, you know, it's going to be three to four times as long uh, to recover mm. as it will be for, you know, those six months. So it could potentially be, you know, like 18, 24, 28 months mm. plus, 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 if you stall the economy for a couple of months, like, and that, and it's very problematic from my perspective. Um, but the interesting thing is that we're located in British Columbia. So, and we're located in Vancouver. So when you look at, like, I, that's what I was saying, like from a global perspective, but when you look at Vancouver in itself, uh, in 08, 09, Vancouver was really only down for like six to eight months. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people make comments about, you know, foreign investors and, you know, access to capital and the good time to buy and the U.S. dollar, you know, there's a, you know, like you're buying uh, real estate in Canada, you know, if you're an international individual or an international family moving here, whatever, 70 cents on the dollar, 75 cents on the dollar. And all these things uh, played a major factor in, you know, um, uh, Vancouver's, and Metro Vancouver to an extent, its recovery, you know, less than a year. So that's the other end of the coin, uh, or sorry, the other side of the coin is, you know, what does it look like for the world versus what does it look like for other major um, marketplaces like Vancouver, mm. Toronto, Montreal, like from a Canada perspective and other major cities, uh, Calgary too, um, and Edmonton, but that's a different story because they've, uh, Alberta has been facing, um, you know, like, uh, you know, poor economic circumstances for years now, not just months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know other you know like north uh you know american cities like you know like los angeles new york but you know like unfortunately this pandemic is it's not a financial crisis it's a you know it's a, a you know it's a health crisis right so mm-hmm. it, it's a very different kind of beast um so you know what does that actually look like um kind of jumping back to vancouver i think vancouver is going to get lucky from the perspective that it could be you know, rather than being like eight to 12 months, like it was in the, in the financial crisis of 2009, maybe it's 16 months. And then, you know, I was saying earlier, it could be 24, 28 plus months. I feel like that's going to be more of a Canada-wide issue or a North America-wide issue or, or you know, worldwide issue. But I think that Vancouver and other major markets are going to, in, in Canada, are going to do well just because of, um, you know, people want to be here. People want to live here. You know, it's mm-hmm. an extraordinary place to be. Um, so that's kind of my opinion on that. But then on the flip side, um, you look at uh, what makes a real estate market. And a lot of people talk about supply and demand and, you know, emotion and, you know, like price point and, you know, all these other factors that, you know, that, you know, that make up a real estate market. But, you know, I, because I have an appraiser uh, and a bit of an appraisal background, I'm like, there's three things that need to happen. I'm like, you need to have a willing buyer and seller. Like, you know, I break it down, like, you know, the very basic building blocks, right? Yeah. You need to have a willing buyer and seller that want a property. Yeah. Condo, investment property, what have you. So you have this, this transaction that's going to occur. 
and then it needs to be blessed by the bank essentially and the bank's like okay i'll lend you money to do the transaction because a lot of people need a mortgage and then now appraisals are coming into question right so you know some individuals are doing deals where it's like subject to financing and they're waiving the financing requirement because they're pre-approved but you're not really approved because the property that you're buying hasn't been approved mm. um, you might have the purchasing power to, to purchase the asset but if the asset doesn't have the value uh, like if the face value of the contract doesn't match the face value of the appraisal you as an individual and this is the scary part have to come up with the difference on closing right subject in your deal that says subject to a satisfactory appraisal prior to closing which i doubt a lot of sellers would accept right so it's like you look at these types of transactions and you look at um how the transaction process has been modified as a result of covid right and um appraisals are are fundamentally important if you require financing it's like the cornerstone of the bank lending you uh money and right. so I, I think that if you look at it from just simply like a market economics perspective there's not enough transactions happening between you know buyer a and seller b and there's not enough appraisal information out there to support the bank's justification to invest money and then you know when the interest rates were going down recently uh the overnight financing rate was going down the banks were increasing their rates. Mm, they wanted yeah. to protect their, you know they wanted to protect their you know <laughs> they wanted to protect themselves from down <laughs> so you look at just kind of like just like uh, you know, the tip of the spear, which is little things like this. But I always, I always break it down to willing buyer and seller, uh, um, you know, bank that's willing to finance, appraisal that has to come in satisfactory, transaction has to complete, mm-hmm. and you have to have, you have to make it happen again and again and again and again and again. Three to five sales from an appraisal perspective, they make a market. They make they give you enough comparables to justify the value of an asset, right? So. It's these, it's these sales that will determine, you know, the price point and that will determine where things are at, where things are headed. And if a lot of people are sitting on the fence and these sales aren't occurring, well then, um, obviously appraisers don't have the information they need to justify. And then all of a sudden, you know, people are, you know, making their, uh, you know, statements about, oh, the market is down 24% this month or, 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 or year or whatever the case is year on year or decade on decade or month, you know, rolling quarters or month on month. And some of those stats can be manipulated. And then the last thing that I'll say about this is, you know, you can look at it from the flip side. Um, Say somebody buys eight building lots and, you know, like uh, the Kitsilano, Carisdale, Shaughnessy area, like whatever neighborhood you want. Somebody buys a lot and then they buy the same type of lot, a couple blocks over and they pay, $50,000 $50,000 more and it keeps leapfrogging. And then it's the same guy who's buying or, or same group that's buying the lots over and over again, right? And then the appraisers are only looking at the most, three most recent comps or five most recent comps, right? So imagine you buy 10 lots and you know when you first start buying them, they're $50,000 apart. And then by the time you buy the last three lots to five lots, the value has gone up quite a bit. And then now you want to sell the other lots you originally purchased. And you've uh, artificially cropped up a market. So that's why I'm saying like, I'm not, you know, I'm not indicating that that's the type of, trans- those are the type of transactions that are going to happen, but it's, you can, you can make a market and you can, you know, like uh, you can look at pricing, uh, 
you know, um, you know, any way you want, but that's all I'm getting at is it's the number of transactions that run up to a certain point in time. Mm-hmm. And you also have to look at who's buying and why they're buying and, you know, how they're buying and, and, and all of those factors. And that's one of the things that I found really interesting about market research in general is that, you know, when you're looking at these real estate sales that are presented by, you know, the real estate board or, you know, um, BCREA or, or, or what have you, whether it's locally or, or, you know, in other areas, if they're just saying that there's like a whole whack ton of transactions happening and they're showing a percentage increase, what does that actually mean? Right. And what is the time frame for that? And then on the flip side, when they talk about prices rising, um, are they really rising or are they just using stats, you know, that are a couple months old or older? And then they just look a li- little bit better when you actually do the math, right? I'm like, if you actually did an average, a weighted average versus a mean or a median, things might look a lot different, right? So yeah. what I'm getting at is that I, I'm interested to see what the, sta- like, you know, you don't want to predict the past. And, and a lot of uh, market research stats that come out are predicting the past. But what I look forward to seeing is, you know, job growth, um, what that is actually going to look like. And the average Canadian income. Uh, on a month-to-month basis as the job growth occurs. Like, those are going to be tremendously powerful um, uh, stats. And then also, um, you know, where are we at in terms of inflation? And where are we at in terms of, you know, like GDP growth, uh, you know, relative to where things are at? Um, You know, what is net in-migration within uh, the cities that we're living in and the provinces we're living in? And Mm. who's buying what where? Because all of... All of these factors, and that's why I get back to, you know, buyer A and seller B and the transaction, right? Like, if you're looking at the math that makes up the market, it's a lot more interesting. And, and, and you can actually have, um, you know, a very different take on, you know, what the stats mean. And if you're just saying, well, the real estate board is saying that, you know, sales are up 24%, right? There's nothing wrong with the way the real estate board does their research like I actually rely on it I think it's excellent um you know I uh I, I have some friends who are on the board of the real estate board of greater Vancouver and I think that they do an excellent job right I um you know I, I don't uh call into question the, the validity of their stats I think um they do some of the best job uh in North America but you know it's always interesting when you sit when you actually sit down with the individuals who are uh working on the stats and then you have that one-on-one conversation about what do you think of this or what do you think of that? Yeah. That's where I find, you know, the devil is in the details. And mm-hmm. you know, I always like to take the stats at face value as to the way they're presented. It's always nice. I have a very good friend of mine uh, who's involved in the real estate board, um, Daniel John. And I have another a very good friend of mine that I just recently uh, became acquainted with in the last few years, Phil Moore. I have dinner with them on a regular basis and conversations and coffee or whatever really interesting to have conversation with you know um, individuals who are tremendously successful on the real estate side you talk to phil even though he has access to the same information than daniel and you talk to daniel and they're on the board and you know they they you know they're they're more updates on the stats than anyone you know because they're they're you know they're they're involved they're very actively involved you talk to them and you ask them their opinion they'll have very they'll have two very different opinions right um even though the stats are the same so that, that's one of the reasons why I say like kind of the stats are what you, you make of them and yeah. also how deep you dive into them. So it's, you know, I, and this might just be the economics courses I took in university kind of 
you know, coming bubbling to the surface. But I find that uh, level of, you know, kind of asking next level questions fundamental and, you know, making, you know, uh, you know, observations and kind of trying to track or predict trends. So that's just kind of my take on, on, on uh, that side of things. And then lastly, you know, to, 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 you know, touch base on this question, you know, to kind of sum it up, I think that the next six to 12 months are going to be challenging. And I think up until we have a, a vaccine, it's going to be challenging. And then there's going to be a, la a lag time between um, the vaccine being produced and people uh, getting access to it. I think that's going to also be problematic for, from an economic recovery perspective. And then on the flip side, once the pandemic is over, once the vaccine is available, who's to say, and this is like kind of like a, you know, Bill Gates like logic here, but when's pandemic number two happen and when's pandemic right. number three gonna happen? So that's the other major concern is that, you know, um, uh, you know, best practices, people are, um, you know, uh, people have made amazing changes in their lives in the last two to three months because of this, as a result of this. And so how will that change the, you know, psyche and behaviors and mannerisms of people and groups going forward. And, you know, will that, will that fundamental change help curb a potential pandemic number two mm. when it occur, right? Like that's, these are the things that need to be considered. Um, and then I think you also, so that's like from an economic perspective and a, a behavior perspective, but in terms of real estate, you, you had a question about that as well. And I'm sorry, my, might just take a little bit long for me to kind of walk through and talk through. I'm just a, a bit of a, a talker, right? But I love it. I love it. I think from a, I think from a real estate perspective, uh, you're going to see a change in um, the buying behavior or mm -hmm. um, kind of the buying patterns. Uh, like I was saying before, if people have less access to capital, you know, they had to use their some of their life savings just to to, to to keep themselves going during the pandemic, it's you can erode their ability for down payment to come up with one. So as a result of that, I think you know um, townhomes and condos are always been a safe bet. Uh, so I think there's still going to be strong demand for townhomes and condos. Um, maybe townhomes more than condos, and the reason I say that is because price points. Some of the price points of townhomes versus condos are quite similar, especially when you get into smaller townhomes versus larger condos. But People are scared of touching an elevator. People are scared of opening a door handle. They're scared of opening a, like a, you know, they're scared of like, a, you know, like the plastic bags at the grocery store. They're, you know, they're scared of, um, you know, like not wiping down their car, door handle, things like that. So, you know, if, if you're in your own private space and the only outside uh, thing that you need to touch is, I don't know, like a guardrail on your stair and, a, and your doorknob when you open your door into your townhome, that's a lot less area you need to worry about disinfecting than, and it's all private. It's all your space in, in there versus walking in through a lobby and then going up, you know, like twisting and turning through corridors and going up in an elevator and then walking down your hall. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's very different. Um, it's very different like mindset. So I think that there will still be strong, robust demand for condos and townhomes, but I think, the, the condominium design may have to change a little bit, or at least you need to consider, you need to consider, uh, you know, um, the way people will interact in a condo now versus, you know, a confined indoor space where it's hard to keep six feet apart versus like a townhome, which is like, you just walk in and walk out. 
Um, I, I still think, and you know, I've been saying this for like the last year, I still think single family is going to come back in a big way. And the reason I, and this is like locally, and, and the reason why I say that is because the price for single family homes has come down so much in the last two years. And now some townhomes are starting to creep up in the, the single family price point. So, you know, if the price ceiling for a townhome is X and, you know, the price floor for a single family home is Y, mm -hmm. and they're getting pretty close. And, you know, the, 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 you know, the joy of home ownership to own a single family home is 50000 or $75,000 or $100,000 part, and that starts to shrink. You might think about stretching yourself a little bit further to get into a single family home. So Interesting. You know, it's, it's funny because if you look at the way the real estate market worked a few years ago, when single family was taking off, right? And uh, there was a gentleman, um, uh, a real estate professional friend of mine, uh, who unfortunately had passed away. Um, I'm sorry in, to in, hear, Troy. Yeah, it's okay. Um, he, him and I were having coffee at a, at, a, at a Starbucks one day. And, you know, we were having a conversation about the market. And this is as single family was taking off. This is many years ago. And, you know, okay. as there was some pent-up demand for, for townhomes and condos. But this is back when it was affordable to own a single family home. It was easy to uh, afford a single family home when, when it was less than a million dollars, right? Like good homes, like large homes, which, you know, now, you know, like a couple of years ago that these homes would be a couple million. It was interesting because when we were chatting, you know, he had basically said, uh, you know, this is the average income. Like, again, from an economics perspective, and that's one of the reasons why him and I uh, get along so well, because we really enjoyed to talk about, you know, the economics behind real estate. And, uh, you know, he was saying, the average income is, you know, for a Canadian is this. And then the average income from, you know, an individual from, you know, Asia is this. And then the average income from somebody who's coming from Saudi Arabia is this. And, you know, from the Middle East is this. And from, you know, India is this. And mm. you know, from, from all these other countries. And so um, I found it really interesting to have that conversation from the perspective that, you know, if you look at it from a, uh, you know, like a, like a net, in migration perspective and you're looking at who's coming from where what their buyer uh you know psychology is or what their buyer typology is and then you know like what they're probably going to purchase and where they're going to purchase like, that's why i was saying like you know a tr if a transaction is buyer a and and, and seller b well who's buyer a and who's seller b and what is their motivation and goal and like you know that's not what gets reported what gets reported is the home and the sales price and what it sold. And you know, other maybe other metrics like the date and you know the price per square foot. Square foot. Price per, you know, like whatever the case is, just the metrics that are generally reported. But you know, it's like what I found interesting was, you know, it was like people from mainland China are looking for this type of real estate. People who are coming from Hong Kong are looking for this type of real estate. People who are coming from Taiwan are looking for this type of real estate. Interesting. People who are coming from the Philippines are looking for this type of real estate. People who are coming from India are looking for this type of real estate. That's really cool. That's how we segment, segmented the discussion. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk about that because then when you're, when you're looking at patterns or you're looking at, um, you're looking at, uh, you know, like buyer, um, you know, buyer sentiment, you know, it's interesting to look at where did they actually buy when you're having this conversation and, you know, where did you predict? And, you know, it's not, it's not like trying to profile a, a group of people or, or whatever mm -hmm. it's like that's the furthest thing from it you know it's just intelligent to have a conversation about you know 
this is the buyer demographic that's looking for this type of real estate. So how are you designing the real estate? You know, and this, this is on the single family side. Like, how are the single family homes being designed to accommodate these buyer needs? Like, mm-hmm. you know, some homes you see have a walk kitchen. Right. And a walk kitchen, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, a walk kitchen might be for, you know, an Asian family. Or it might be for, you know, like an Indo-Canadian family or whatever the case is. And instead of it being called a walk kitchen, they call it a spice kitchen. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, even though it's just a second kitchen attached to the primary kitchen, it's, you know, like it's just the way that you, you design and you, you build for it. So, you know, just to have those types of conversations and, and to look at, you know, what people are looking for. Should you have a mortgage helper in the home? Would that be beneficial? A walk-off mm-hmm. suite, right? Like, you know, are micro suites a good idea? And, and if so, um, how should a micro suite work? Should it be a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex plus? Like, you know, is there is there a need for this? I mean, you talk to people 10 years ago and they wouldn't really speak so highly of duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes. Everyone wanted to own a single family home. And now you're seeing more individuals uh, getting into uh, duplexes and you know, the, the parents will live on one side and, uh, you know, the grandparents per se, or the, the parents, and then the children who are married and, and have starting their own family, they'll live on the other side, but they have access to mom and dad next door. And that's something that's become more popular. Um, right. Your demographic of buyers. Uh, now, nowadays it's becoming more prevalent so because, because of just general affordability. And then you look at townhomes now and some townhomes are getting lock off suites. Because mm. townhomes are becoming the new single-family home, right? Because of the affordability crunch we had in like 2018, 2019, until the market started definitely to come down, right? So you know all of these trends that you see in real estate, um, you know they evolve over time or they occur over time. But these are things that were occurring five to ten to fifteen years ago. Before they may have just been. Uh, occurring in um, you know areas where people just weren't looking. So you know that's why I'm saying if you're lo- if you're looking at like real estate in you know like Taiwan, Hong Kong, Vietnam, you know kind of looking at you know um, you know international uh, property markets, you can get some really neat ideas as to how real estate's done over there that you know is is uh, that w- that works there, and then you can bring it back to Canada and at the right time, right. And then with the right implementation, it might be absorbed uh, and it might become, you know, the new real estate trend, right? So mm. that's what I find fascinating, kind of looking at it from, you know, an international perspective. That's why I was saying, like, not only talking about where the individuals and the families are coming from who are buying here, but what were they looking at or what were they buying before they came to Canada? And, like, what, um, you know, what, what can you provide uh, in your homes that um you know would be uh uh kind of beneficial to that buying relationship i i have a friend um who's a very successful real estate professional and he's the the coo of a a company in vietnam and um you know we we have conversations we talk every few months and you know he had indicated to me when we're chatting about product development just just for general interest you know he was he's designing condos for you know vietnamese buyers and you know, he's like, oh, this is how the kitchen should be laid out. And I'm looking at kitchen design and I, I don't understand why it's laid out a little bit differently than typical Canadian kitchen would be. And he's like, he's like, you know, the Vietnamese buyer, they're looking for certain features in a kitchen. And he's like, why is that? And he's like, I can't do it 
in you know a certain type of kitchen configuration it's got to be like this and then um now it's like when you're looking at some of the spice kitchens or you're looking at some of the the wok kitchens that are being designed um you know that are that are in the larger houses you can see some of those elements that are being included in them which is kind of neat right like so that's why i'm saying like even just having an eye for real estate outside of you know like a certain product type or outside of certain provinces or or certain countries it'll make you uh you know it'll it'll give you a better appreciation for real estate in general and so you know i just think that you know to to finalize my my rambly statement but you know i just think that we're lucky to be in bc and we're lucky to be in vancouver and i think we're not going to be hit as hard um even though we still got probably another six to 12 months of this yeah vaccines out in that time frame until such time that uh you know it's um you know uh it's resolved um or it's beginning to resolve itself and you know thank god for universal health care everyone <laughs> will have access to this vaccine when it's absolutely available, right um you know and that's one of the the, ama the amazing and beautiful things about living in canada like you ha you'll have access to it you don't have to worry about that right so all i'm getting at is like i think that we're going to be and you know we're going to be lucky and we're going to be in a lucky place and and you know six to 12 12 plus months but you know you have to prepare yourself to be able to as a real estate professional whether you're a realtor or a developer whatever the case is you have to be prepared uh for what that like next change in the market will be and you know unfortunately like i said at the beginning of this question you know there's no crystal ball to say where we're going to be at but um uh, you know if you're looking at a crystal ball, you know, trying to trying to make a prediction, I think single family is going to come back in a serious way. I think uh, townhomes are going to uh, be more in demand than condos to some okay. extent, depending on how you build a condo or how, you know, or the type of condo you're building or whatever. Smaller, more intimate condominium projects might be more successful than larger master plan condominium projects. I don't know, right? It just depends on what the buyer sentiment is at the time and who's buying and, and where those projects are located, price point, et cetera. But right. it's just, I think single family is going to just, uh, you know, heat up. I think townhomes are going to heat up. That's and cool. I'm interested to see what happens to the condos, low rise, low rise, mid rise, and high rise. Yeah. That. That, that's one that I, I wouldn't want to be right or wrong about. <laughs> wow. Troy, you, you have given me so, again, having that sense of curiosity, man, like you have just curious about the world, different areas, cities, the real estate market there, the ethnicity, the background, the property type, what they're, man, you're a, you're a very intellectual and deep conversation about real estate. And I've never been able to dive this deep beyond the stats and the numbers and the cities and townhouse condo single family you know like the surface level conversation that most people have about real estate but you're, you're really able to like dig deep in there that's awesome. i just I'm, I'm a you know i'm a student of the market right i i enjoy learning about how the market functions and you know the who the what the where the when the why the how um you know it just makes you better at what you do and uh you know if uh you know if um there are individuals out there who are trying to predict what you know is going to happen in the market next it's i think it's really tough you know i i i don't think anyone has a magic bullet or a silver bullet or whatever you want to call it to to be able to predict the future but um 
yeah, just just having co uh, conversations with other other individuals, like like you you know you just said, you know from from what I had said, just you know kind of being a student of the market and just chatting with you know anyone and everyone you can. Like one thing that I I noticed I'm doing more of now versus uh, what I was doing before, um, you know, COVID uh, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is I'm I'm trying to reach out to three professionals that I don't normally talk to regularly in a week or a month and just have a conversation with them, even if it's for five minutes or half an hour, uh, just to ask their opinion about, you know, where things are at in the market today, you know, what they're working on, you know, what their pressure points are, um, you know, what, uh, you know, what opportunities they're seeing. And, you know, because real estate is such a close knit uh, community, um, whether, you know, you call an appraiser or you call a developer or you call a realtor um, or you call a notary or a lawyer or whatever the case is, like anyone who participates in, uh, you know, the ecosystem that is real estate, just hearing and having conversations with them, uh, you know, is hugely beneficial. And it opens up your, your network. Um, you know, I, I really like to reach out to people that I know and, and have these conversations and I also try to reach out to people I don't know and uh, have conversations and it's tough because, um, you know, uh, when you reach out to somebody who has no idea who you are or what you do or what you want from them and you just say, Hey, I'm Troy, you know, calling from Bucci developments. And I just wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, like you know, how business is for you. Right. Some people are kind of surprised that you'd even reach out to them and ask that question. Right. <laughs> Or you can't even get a hold of you can't even get a hold of them. Um, I reached out to uh, one of the larger single-family and multi-family builders this week. Um, you know, just to have a conversation with them on the phone. I got a hold of him right away. We talked for half an hour. It was great. Um, you know, he was telling me that they're writing uh, sixty deals a month right now, and that um, yeah, I know. I was I was actually what <laughs> he was saying they're writing sixty deals a month. Um, they're doing ten plus deals a week, uh, and that they're uh, busier than they've been in a long time. Um, but I think it's to do with what they're building and where they're building it and the price points they're at. Right. Yeah. And then there's another individual I reached out to and I have received, uh, two calls from that person's assistant. Um, just saying, what do you want to talk to this person about? Right. Which is fine. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't expect to be able to get a hold of everyone I reach out to, but, um, because I'm involved in, the Home Builders Association of Vancouver, and because I'm involved in the Fraser Valley Home Builders, uh, was a chair of membership for uh, Haven for a number of years, and then wow. I, um, I'm on the board right now for the Fraser Valley Home Builders. You know, I just pick up a Rolodex, uh, you know, of developers, builders, what have you, and you know, I flip to the book, and then uh, you know, there's people that I haven't talked to in a long time that they're they're members, which is great. I'm happy that they're members, and then you can just call them and you can chit chat. Right. Like I said, you might not be able to hold them right away, but you know, um, I don't, I, I, I don't call people that I've never met before because that would be, you know, that'd be kind of funny, but, um, you know, I call people that I call people that I've met socially at a, you know, at a networking event, or I call people that I've, I've met, you know, uh, you know, at some sort of a real estate function or have mutual friends. Right. So, you know, do you, I, I have been trying to reach out to people, um, you know, now, just to find out kind of what their take is on the market. It's just like, you're asking me the, the questions you're asking me about real estate. 
you know, I'm, I'm a curious person, so I'm asking these people the, the same type of questions, uh, you know, that you're, that you're actually asking of me and just getting their opinion. And, you know, you ask them a very just general open-ended question and, you know, um, especially with, you know, the, 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 the lack or inability of social interaction now, the, the conversations are so much more valuable. Right. Uh, you know, in this day and age, as a result of, of this crisis. So, like, you know, when, when um, the gentleman I was talking to on the phone said they're doing 60 deals a month, I was blown away. <laughs> yeah. I, there's other developers I'm talking to that are postponing development projects and, you know, are, 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 are struggling to get financing on them. And then, on right. the other, you know, you hear somebody saying, well, we're actively trying to find new development sites. You know, it's this a hot market for us because we have great product at a great price point in a great location, and it just makes sense. Yeah, that's that's what I I find really interesting. And you know, like I said, I'm reaching out to the notaries of the world, and I'm reaching out to the um, you know lawyers of the world, and and the mortgage brokers of the world too, and uh, you know, um, interior designers, and you know, consultants, and architects, and and whatnot, just to have just conversations about what's going on. Right. Um, really take the temperature of the market when you're calling people who are really good at what they do. Um, you know, a lot of people romanticize realtors and they romanticize developers and they romanticize like, you know, like mortgage brokers or whatever, you know, the, the, the parts of the puzzle in real estate that are the most public. But, you know, talk to a notary, talk to a lawyer, talk to a, an architect, talk to an interior designer and ask them how business is. And, you know, you, you can get some really valuable insight, some really interesting insight that you normally never really, that you, normal, that you normally never would. Yeah. And so from my perspective, it's hugely invaluable. And, you know, um, yeah, just, and uh, yeah, out. yeah, just reach out. Yeah. Doesn't have to ask. <laughs> and volunteer and volunteer. That's the only other thing I would say is that, you know, you never know the type of people you'll meet and you never know the type of people that you'll be able to create a, know a, a great relationship with i love uh, it you know, by by volunteering and i'm not just throwing this out i'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to just add them at this or insert this randomly in a conversation but you know i because of my volunteering that's why i was saying you know i'm making these calls to individuals and, and you know uh, organizations because of my volunteering that i can do this right like if i wasn't volunteering with um haven and i wasn't volunteering with uh uh you know fraser valley home builders you know it's, it's a lot different if you just randomly call somebody and you don't have some some sort of like a, a shared uh, you know a shared um, value or a shared connection or just a shared organization. So that does help break the ice. Um, I was a president of the Real Estate Institute of BC many many years ago. Yes, um, which, was, uh, which was quite an honor, and I really enjoyed that opportunity as well. And that and I've been volunteering. This is the last thing I'll say on on this. Uh, this is an anecdotal story, but I actually volunteered with the Real Estate Institute when I was a student and university wow. and then i worked up in you know through volunteering you know from you know like task force to committee and then committee to eventually getting on the board of governors and that took like six seven years and then eventually i got on the board and i, I served you know like a full term there eight years and eventually i went up from president uh, elect to president and then past president and that was a great experience and um you know now is the time if you have the time as a as a young professional and I would encourage you and I would encourage your listeners of, uh, you know, of this as well to consider volunteering um, if you have additional time to give back because you get as much as you give, right? And a lot of people might not look at it that way, but, you know, for me to be able to be the director of the Fraser Valley Home Builders and 
you know, be able to represent them in, in the capacity that I do, but to be able to call any one of the Fraser Valley Home Builder members and, uh, and you know, nine times out of 10, be able to have a conversation with, you know, not just uh, somebody who's involved there, but maybe the principal of the company or like a senior uh, member of the company is hugely beneficial. And, um, you know, whether you're a realtor volunteering with the real estate board or a property manager or a mortgage broker volunteering within your mortgage broker's organization, MDA, IABC or whatever it's called. And I, I probably pronounced it wrong. And if I get it wrong, <laughs> I'm sorry. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, being, uh, having the opportunity to give back is, is obviously hugely beneficial. And now that a lot more people have a lot more free time, not to say that you're probably not, you know, like I'm not saying that you're not as busy as you were before, but you, you probably have a little bit more free downtime in the evening or on weekends because you might not be as socially active. Absolutely. Being hunkered down, you know, it's like instead of reading a book, which there's nothing wrong with doing that, especially if you enjoy books or podcasts or whatever. Um, instead of doing that, reach out to other people. Like you had reached out to me on Instagram and I'm grateful that you did. Reach out to other people and just connect and, 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 and volunteer or maybe even found your own organization or whatever you're going to do, right? Like, I think that's tremendously powerful to be able to do something like that. And, you know, when, when I was making my comments earlier and, you know, on this question or this, this part of it, you know, you can't, you can't call or you can't get access to people that you'll never be able to get access to unless you put yourself in the position to do that in the first place. Right. So by volunteering, I, I was able to open those doors. Um, so, you know, I would encourage you and I would encourage your listeners to uh, also consider volunteering. Um, if ever anyone wants to reach out to me to ask me about, you know, who I volunteered with or where I would recommend they volunteer, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to, to make that recommendation. Because like I said, uh, earlier in this, in this um, you, know, you know, like in the second or third question coming to this, you know, I gave the example of Marcos at Anthem, right? Like, I, he reached out to me and I reached out to him and we created a, you know, like a, you know, truly meaningful connection and truly meaningful friendship just by helping each other out, right? That, that. Uh, simple as that. And so it's one of those things where it's like, like I was saying, you give, you can give and you can get, but if you're, if you're giving, you know, you can get back a lot more if you do it for the right reasons. And so, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to, to give the way I can. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, you know, some, do some things I do, which I would like to see. But, you know, like I said, I really appreciate that you reached out to me when, when you messaged me on Instagram, I was very surprised. And I was, I was actually quite humbled that you're like, Hey, do you, would you want to be on my, um, would you want to be, uh, you know, on my show and, um, and have a conversation with me? So, you know, again, like I, I do really appreciate, you know, and, um, thank you for, for asking me to even be involved in this and thanking yeah. me for this. So. Oh, uh, well, yeah, Troy, I, I mean, the thanks is mine and I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to sit down with you and, and really dive in deep about your journey, your life experiences, um, and also pick your brains on kind of the real estate market, the different trends and kind of just how you analyze things uh, has been really beneficial. Um, and yeah, I, I think the, the thanks is mine. And, and again, from the journey of, you know, me starting this podcast kind of came about because of COVID and I was like, frick, you know, a lot of people probably stuck at home and, uh, you know, and, and I, I can't really go out to socialize anymore. So I got to find a way to, to kind of work around that. Like you were saying, how you call people up in different yeah. industries and have a chat with them. It's like, well, this is my way of socializing because I can't go out and about and meet people. 
<laughs> and the only other thing I will say is that when uh, things are a little bit more open and they calm down, let's do this in person and, 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 and grab a dinner or a coffee. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure and honor. And Troy, uh, just to wrap up, you know, our interview, I mean, there, there's so much golden nugget that I took away from, from our talk, but uh, kind of wanted to, to roll out the red carpet for you and, and for you to kind of let people know what you have going on in your life or how people can reach out to you uh, if, if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, no, uh, um, I, uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on um, Instagram and uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you search for Troy Macbeth, uh, M-A-C-B-E-T-H, um, Abramitis, which is a bit of a mouthful, A-B-R-O-M-A-I-T-I-S, uh, you'll probably find me on one of my social media platforms. Um, if you do follow me uh, or you know decide to follow me, as long as you're okay with um, my uh, kind of sarcastic, silly videos um, that are about things that are only the finest, uh, <laughs> then you'll be fine. Then you'll be fine following me. But um, yeah, I use I use social media. I use Facebook uh, more to communicate with friends, um, and and that's kind of its purpose for me. I use Instagram just uh, as um, a way to. Uh, reach out to people that I wouldn't normally meet that you know that's how how we connected and I'm, I'm like I said really uh, happy that we were able to connect that way and I use it just more of a you know conversational um, and more just kind of play, uh, in a more playful manner um, and I of all the social media that I use Instagram is my favorite um, because I can be uh, professional and playful at the same time on it my my Facebook I have High privacy settings so you know I just like I said it's more more for friends uh, and family to connect with me and then um, yeah LinkedIn my LinkedIn is very professional it's very polished um, my LinkedIn is my LinkedIn as, as most other people's would be um, you know I just post uh, you know information on LinkedIn that, that I think is interesting from a you know economics perspective or a business perspective or a real estate perspective so very different um, uh, kind of personas on 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 my um on uh, on those um, um social media outlets and uh, I have another friend I was just chatting with yesterday. He's an architect, an Italian gentleman, very good friend of mine. And this guy's probably twenty years my senior, and he's telling me that I need to get on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's hilarious, <laughs> and um, I have the app, but I've never set up an account. I just. <laughs> I saw it and then I saw Will Smith on it and I don't know, people dancing and I just didn't really. That would be so really, awesome. Yeah, didn't really think. But I think my playful, like, you know, kind of approach, uh, sarcastic approach and TikTok, I don't know if that would either be a huge success or an epic fail. So I'm, I'm nervous to get on TikTok because like, like I enjoy my Instagram because I can, I can use it, but I feel like TikTok is like Instagram, but like a little bit more out there. Yeah. So I, I would be nervous to see what kind of persona I would create on TikTok if it was just like playful short videos that are just humorous. So, yeah. But you might see me on TikTok in the future. And if I am on it, it will be under Troy McBath, only the finest. Yeah. <laughs>
Love it. I can't. I want to see you on TikTok, Troy. I'm gonna. You I'm have gonna TikTok. Run that. I, I am, but I'm not, I'm not active on it, but I'm, yeah. I'm trying. It's, it's, it's a very interesting platform, like you say, because um, you only have 30 seconds to 60 seconds to really make an make impression. Video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it's like, you have to refine everything so much. And like a lot of thought has to be put into it versus, you know, something on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. It's you can just throw it out there and kind of, but, but because of the nature of the platform, you only have so much time to play with that. Yeah. You, it has to be polished like straight to the point. And that's the challenging part for myself, at least. Well, so. you, if you want to use only the finest in some of your TikTok videos and introduce it to the world, you're more than welcome to. All right. Okay. We'll start a trend. We'll start a because trend on TikTok. Hashtag OTF. Only the <laughs> And to wrap things up, Troy, thanks again for your time and only the finest. Thank you very much. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the On The Rise podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music composition and vocals is done by Graham Best. Your host, of course, is the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Have a wonderful day, and we will, of course, see you next time on our way to the top. Cheers.